Welcome back to the Human Up Podcast. My name is Victor Ung. I am trying to be a little more upbeat in my voice in recording this uh, little intro here. I, I just took a nap, so I'm a little tired. But uh, Welcome back to the Human Up Podcast. I'm, I'm glad you're here. This episode is going to be uh, a pretty deep and potentially controversial episode just because of the nature of the topic. And I will preface that I'm not an expert in the wellness industry or, um, or fully understand all the different nuances within diversity and inclusion. Um, I am here just as a man of color of Asian descent, being a firstborn Chinese American who struggled with a lot of mental and emotional blocks within my life, within especially in the recent years. And um, in, in my journey and my process in diving into, you know, all the content and all the people out there who are advocating for mental health and wellness in general, it's just something I've noticed that there is there seems to be a lack in diversity in this industry, um, at least in the mainstream and within the big players out there, um, especially in the personal development world, which is also not to ignore or discredit all the people of color who are out there, um, it's just unfortunate that they're not as popular or as mainstream and hasn't necessarily reached, you know, many other people of color as well. So, you know, to that point, if you're listening to this and you are familiar with anyone of color who are advocating for mental and emotional health, I'd love to hear more about them so I can dive into the content. This journey so far just got me thinking and curious about this lack in diversity here and, and why that is and what we can do about it. In, in any case and anything that we do, you know, having just a one-sided conversation with one perspective is very limiting, right? And it doesn't see, it doesn't give us a, a full picture on, a, on any particular issue. And so diversity and, and a broad number of perspectives are always important. And I'm just curious on, you know, why why there seems to be a lack in, in that in those perspectives. We are starting to see a lot of, you know, people of color and, and minorities in this space now and, and really branching out and expressing these deeper topics. Uh, but for the most part it's it's still a a missing avenue for a lot of us out there. So in this process, in in uh, my journey in developing my own emotional intelligence and, and trying to prioritize my mental and emotional well-being, I was fortunate enough to have been connected to Mike Sagoon, a certified professional men's coach, and in his work, he also noticed a lack of diversity in in this work as well and wanted to do something about it, wanted to be more inclusive and to broaden the diversity of, of the industry and where he's working. So 
I'm really excited about sharing this conversation with people. I think we, we definitely hit on a lot of different topics, but yeah, before I ramble too much about that, uh, let's, let's get into the episode after a message from my sponsor. First off, thank you for being a listener of the Human Up podcast. I definitely have so much to say and express and all the things that I've experienced and observed throughout my life that I honestly have been cultured and, and kind of pressured to, to bite my tongue against. So I really love being able to use this platform and this medium as a podcast to do so. And it wouldn't be possible without Anchor.fm, which is the hosting platform I use to distribute this podcast. It's perfect for me right now because it's free and automatically distributes my episodes to all the different platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. And the cool part is that there are tools to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So you don't even need any extra software or services to, to create the podcast. And you can even make money from the podcast with no minimum listenership by recording ads like this. So if you have a message to send and ideas to spread, definitely download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And who knows, maybe we can collab and create a, a podcast episode together. If you do end up creating one, you should definitely hit me up and, and we can do something there. With that, let's get back to the episode. Cool, Mike. Uh, thanks for joining the podcast. It's really good to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've uh, I heard about you through the Everyman Group, um, which is uh, uh, for for those who don't know, it's a group by Dan Dan Doty, um, who kind of helps set up these local men's groups to get together every week and and uh, get together to chat about well to to really dive in, not just chat, but to dive in on on our feelings and how to express our emotions and something that is super cool to, to experience. Yeah. We go deep. <laughs> we go real deep and, uh, got connected through one of the, the guys there. So, uh, so it was cool to connect with you. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you connected with me and you know, you're a man of color and I'm a man of color and, uh, I remember you connecting with me and I was like, is, oh, nice. Another man of color in every man. That feels really good. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that was kind of partly why I connected too. It was like, you know, all these, other guys, all these white guys around me and I'm like, uh, this feels weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm getting deep and I'm getting vulnerable and I'm sharing my experience and all of you are white. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, and, and, you know, and that's kind of what the, the topic of this episode would be around today is kind of the, just diversity in the wellness industry and in people who, who want to prioritize their mental health and emotional growth. Something I, I definitely realized was, uh, lacking in terms of, you know, people who look like me, uh, who, who like want to be in this uh, this field, or at least want to, yeah, again, like, you know, prioritize their mental health. So, um, uh, when I heard more about you and your story too, it was cool to 
hear that you are also trying to work on, you know, improving the inclusion and diversity even within every man. Um, maybe let's let's back up a little bit. Uh, what? Tell me a little bit about your story and then how you got into every man, and then uh, maybe eventually what what you're doing now with it. Yeah, so I am a certified professional men's coach. Uh, I've been coaching for professionally for two years, um, just over two years actually, and um, fell into this because I had a, um, a sort of a coaching position with young people in Northern California. And uh, I was doing educational theater for this company. And we were helping young people all over Northern California that struggled with um, mental health issues, depression, anxiety, um, some young people going through bullying, suicidal ideation, even suicidal attempts, and even self-harm. Um, and over the course of 10 years, I worked with thousands and thousands of young people and around my seventh year of being in this organization, something clicked in my head and I was like, there are all these young people that are struggling, that need help. Where the hell are all the adults at? Where are their parents? Where are their, where's their support network? Where are the teachers? Where are the adults providing them with love, care, and fostering growth around their mental health. And um, something in my heart just sparked, and I was like, I need to do something about this. There's more. And so I found coaching and um, went through a coaching program, fell in love, found a tribe, saw that there was um, huge potential for me to actually create a career around this. And around the six-month mark of me coaching professionally, I uh, got into men's work and um, I got into men's work because I started reading things around loneliness and how loneliness is becoming an epidemic here in America and actually around the world. And um, I read this statistic uh, around male suicides and the highest demographic of suicides committed in America are done by men ages 45 to 65 and mostly white men. And um, that blew me away because I was in this mental health arena, but I always work with young people and I always thought young people were the highest demographic of suicides. And so then I started to think like, what is going on here? What's happening in our world? What's happening in our nation? And we're finding that, um, you know, more and more men are, are discovering that this lone wolf mentality doesn't work anymore that doing it all by ourselves is not sustainable and the consequence of that is loneliness and harm self-harm and hurt and pain and so um i dove straight into men's work and i started my own men's group at the time it was called the authentic man and started developing these little groups around the bay area um, and a friend from LA actually hit me up and was like, Hey, have you heard of this group called Everyman? And I said, no. And I looked them up, looked up Dan Doty, looked up Owen Marcus, saw the work that they were doing and I kind of put it to a side to the side. And then a few months later, another friend 
reached out to me and said, hey, have you heard of this group called Everyman? And at the time I was doing my own men's groups and also my own men's retreats and I noticed that they were doing the same thing and I thought, you know, this is really interesting. Um, I looked on their website and saw that like their entire leadership team is, was made up of all straight men or all, all white men. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I like, I looked on at some of their media on YouTube and on Facebook and again, all white men. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And, um, I started to feel like, oh, this is like not uncommon. I started to reflect about my own men's groups and my own retreats and started to look at the demographics. And I um, was like, wow, like at my men's groups and at my men's retreats, the majority of those men were, majority of the men were white men. And so I sent every man an email and I said, hey, like, this is what I do. Um, I'm a men's work practitioner. I'm wondering if this is if this everyman retreat is the right fit for me. Can I talk to someone about this? And Dan Doty called me, hopped on a call, and I told him about my background. He said, "Yeah, you're a great fit." And I said, "Hey, Dan, I have one concern, and that concern is when I enter these men's wellness spaces, I tend to be the only man of color, and I tend to be the only openly gay man. Is that what the demographic?" is going to be here at this Everyman retreat. And he's like, you know, Mike, you're probably not wrong, man. And I went to the retreat anyways, and I wasn't, and he wasn't either. And uh, noticed that I was like one of four, three or four men of color and the only openly gay man. Uh, and so I was like, what can we do to fix this? What can we do to make this work more accessible to these different communities of men? And so I got passed down to um, Ebenezer Bond, who I now work with at Everyman. And um, he and I got into a deep conversation about the work that we need to continue doing in this space so that men's work is accessible and approachable to men of color and queer men. And so here I am today, um, Ebenezer and I are leading the way at Everyman with diversity and inclusion. We are creating a diversity and, advisory, diversity and inclusion advisory board, and we are getting um, a lot of consulting done by um, different men, not just cisgendered men, but trans men and queer men around the kind of work that we need to implement in our organization so that this, so that Everyman is literally for every man. Um, and so here we are today. We're, we're, we're deeply involved in making this work accessible to um, these different communities of men. Wow, yeah, that is amazing. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd love to kind of get into what exactly you're doing there, but I wanted to tap into like what that felt like when you go, went into this retreat you know, being the, the, you know, one of the rare <laughs> people of color there. What was that experience like? You know, th this, this wasn't my first or second or third or fourth experience entering a space filled with white men, filled with cisgendered white men perceived straight, right? That's not my first time. Uh, I'm well aware of um, what that feels like. Um, but every single time I enter these spaces, 
I have a similar feeling of, um, of danger, <laughs> of um, feeling isolated, um, feeling unsafe. Um, and every single time I enter these spaces, I, I leave these retreats or these workshops feeling like, wow, that was great. That was awesome. That was fine. Now what can we do next so that more people like me are in that room or at that retreat? Right. So, and that brings up now the question too, is kind of why do you think that it, it is such a common thing among perceived straight and white men? Uh, and, and why, like, where are, where are all the other people yeah. um, in, in joining these things? Yeah, I think we might open up a can of worms here, right? <laughs> That's right. a really huge question. Um, and I don't think that there's one answer. I think there are layers. And um, I just want to put myself on record to say that I am not an expert at this. And I am speculating and I'm coming from a place of experience and not from a place of like, I've studied this. I have not studied this at all. Um, but I have experience in this and I can make my own speculation around it. And maybe some of your listeners might agree, or if, if you disagree, then I would love to have a conversation about that as well. Um, because I think in this space um, and around this topic around diversity and wellness, I think we, this is very new. Uh, I think this is, I think this is, I mean, uh, first wellness, it's a trillion, trillion dollar industry right? And so it's blowing up right now. But um, what we haven't been talking about in the wellness industry is the lack of diversity in it. I think in many wellness industries, there's, we're all about inclusion. Yes, anyone and everyone come in, we are accepting of you. But the diversity aspect of it um, isn't quite there. Like we aren't quite reaching people that look like you and I, or people that identify like me, a queer man of color, right? And so um, this is an interesting question. And I think my, my gut reaction is, and this might light, light people up and this might trigger people, but privilege. I think um, growing up, um, I grew up with a, in, in a Filipino family in a very conservative Christian household, not Catholic, but Christian. And um, to this day, my parents don't believe in mental health. Um, my parents don't believe in depression. My parents don't believe that um, we can, we, that we need to seek help for mental health issues. And that's how I was raised. I was raised to believe that whatever was happening in my head, the feelings that I had in my heart um, that I could work out on my own, that I can just get over it. And that's not completely my parents' fault too. And I say privilege because my parents didn't have much education. They um, both come from parents who also didn't have much education. And so, and they didn't have an education because they couldn't, right? It wasn't accessible to them. Um, and it, growing up in the Philippines for my father, it was you go to school or you work on the farm. 
And for many of my parents' families, it was the latter. It was we work on the farm. So there was no education, right? So there was no like um, critical thinking. There wasn't any like, hey, let's be curious about what we're thinking here or what we're learning here. There was just, this is how it is. And this is how we move through life. And that was passed down to me. That like, one, I am educated. Um, I have a college degree. I went through to school for 25 years of my life. And um, I, um, I knew what critical thinking was. I knew that I could observe my thoughts and ask myself questions and think, is this the right way of thinking? Am I thinking healthily? Am I thinking in a way that's productive? And I think for, for these marginalized communities or these communities of color or these queer communities, we don't quite have the same kind of support as white people. And I think that's systematized. I think it's systemic. I think it's also familial background, right? Like, um, statistically white people are more educated than we are and it is it, it it i'm not pointing fingers here i'm not blaming anyone for this but we do have to look at the history of the way that we were brought up or our history of um how we were, we came here to america and our more and our values around what it meant to be a human being and i think in the i think for for us people of color and we just don't quite have that kind of same kind of support or we didn't have that same kind of support. And I think that's, that's changing right now, especially for us millennials, you know, Victor, you and I are millennials and we're seeing that we do care about our wellness. One, we have the access to internet and so we could Google anything that we want and see, Oh, look at what these people are doing. And we could implement that kind of stuff into our lives and, feel the transformation that comes from it. Um, and so I think in as millennials, I think we are beginning to understand that there is a lot of importance in wellness. Um, but back to your question of this lack of diversity. One, I think it's privilege, but I think also just like it has, it's tied to education in that we just don't know, right? We just like, if we, how can we aim for something that we know that's, that's not there, right? How can we shoot at a target that's not there? And if we don't know that we might have um, a mental health issue, if we don't know that depression is a thing, then how can we actually acknowledge it and become aware of it and do something about it? And um, if we don't know that we have a problem, then how can we ask for help? Right. And I think that also boils down to culture. Right. So like all of these things are so connected. All of these things are webbed together. And again, there isn't one question or one answer for why there, there's a lack of diversity in wellness spaces. Um, but I think that it, what I just talked about are just a few answers. Right. Yeah, no, I, first of all, I really appreciate you, uh, even just jumping on this, this pod to try to try to dive into that. I know that that this is a really complicated issue and, and there's so many layers to it. So, um, yeah, and there's, there's a lot that goes in there. Um, and, and what you said 
does kind of make sense though from just my own personal experience as well where the idea that you know a lot of these wellness practices you know going to therapy and and uh, i don't know i guess buying all, any sort of products or services that kind of help relieve any stresses or or anxieties or anything like that is it all costs you know quite a bit of amount of resources a lot of resources that most immigrant families maybe don't really have the 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 extra way to to invest in right yeah the income, the income right? yeah. like like passive income what the hell is passive income for for our parents there is no passive income for my parents exactly their income went straight to paying for bills and putting food on the table right and then if we saved enough cash we might go on a small vacation but there wasn't any extra cash for us to like i didn't even play organized sports growing up because my parents didn't have money even though i wanted to Mm-hmm. right i wanted to to be on um basketball i want to be in basketball leagues i wanted to run track um outside of the public school system right and it just wasn't possible for us because we didn't have the resources for it and so and if my parents didn't know what mental health was how would they even start to understand what depression or anxiety was for me right and so how could they actually like pinpoint in my character or the way that I was reacting as a child, like, oh, that is, he's isolating himself right now, or he's manic right now. That must be depression. We should go ask for help. We should get him some help. That was not even a question, dude, right? My parents went through a really rough divorce, and um, I should have gotten some therapy from that. My parents should have gotten some therapy from that, right? It It was a very tumultuous time in our family dynamic. And I never received any help for that. And I'm still, I'm still recovering from that trauma. And, and so that this income factor is so important in thinking about wellness, right? Like as, uh, like, you know, the, the, the average, the, the, the market rate for a therapist right now is what, like 250 to $500 a month for two sessions a month, right? Same with coaching. And it's like, if you are in an immigrant family and you are just scraping by, some of our parents had to work multiple jobs, that income is probably not going to go towards a therapy session that's going to yeah. cost them $250 a month. It, it doesn't, it's not as pragmatic. It, it doesn't, yes. uh, it, and it's not as something that will that isn't as tangible to them. Yes. Especially when you said that, you know, we're trying to shoot at a target that's not there, that, that resonated with me where it's like, we don't really know that that thing exists. It's so intangible. And what is this money really going towards? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like our, our, our money went like if we did have income and we weren't spending it on a vacation, it went on, it went to, buying new shoes it went to maybe buying a new tv it went to um you know buying material things that tangible mm-hmm. right this is a material that we can see that this is my reward for working that hard and this is what i earned right we growing up my parents didn't think 
oh, let's reward ourselves by getting some mental health treatment. <laughs> right. I mean, like if, if I, if I had children these days, that's exactly what I would do. Right. I'd be like, yeah. Hey, like go, go to a camp that's like focused on your learning and experiential learning. And maybe there's like a mental health aspect to it. Like go do that. That seems like a reward or um, let's all, let's go all sit and do a coaching session together as a family. Right. Let's let's um, let's hire someone to um, develop connection within us. Let's hire a, a consultant or a coach or an artist to do an activity with us where we can have conversations that we don't normally have around the dinner table. Let's do that. That's where I would go today if I had kids. Um, but again, that goes down to values. Right? Our parents didn't value that. They didn't think that was important. It wasn't driving their decisions. And, and, and that's totally attached to culture, right? Yeah, I was, I was going to add on the culture there where it, it just kind of makes me question though. It's like, what what about it then was the culture or maybe the just geographical location or, you know, what is it around the difference between maybe Eastern and Western societies that 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 wasn't as much of a priority because when I think about it, you know, we get a lot of the sort of the meditation practices, yoga practices, all of these kind of spiritual practices coming from the, the Eastern philosophies and whatnot. And so it does make me kind of think it's like, well, it would, you would think that they would also prioritize or, or at least know what mental health is or um could look like uh and and i don't know if this is a a topic or or a subject matter that you're that much familiar with but it it just kind of that's a a thought that came in is you know what i'm trying to ask there yeah yeah no absolutely no totally totally yeah yeah and i think i might be making this might be a leap here uh and again this might rub people the wrong way but i think colonization has a huge thing to do with Western influence on Eastern culture. And from the Philippines, you know, we were colonized by Spain for 400 plus years. You know, they took our entire identity and even gave us their religion, Catholicism. And when we look pre-colonization in Philippines, we were very much in the Eastern philosophy of tribalism, of like being with each other, of holding ceremony, having rituals, when things were happening in our hearts or in our bodies, we hold, we held rituals as a community together to heal with each other. And when that was taken from us, we are one, our identity was stolen, but also this sense of community ritualism and ceremony was robbed from us as well. And, um, when we continue to look down the line, you know, 400 years has passed. And then we look at, who, who colonized um, the Philippines after that. We see China, we see Japan, and then we see America, right? So America was in our country for 50 years. And, um, and the American uh, culture was heavily influenced. We were, the Philippines still is very heavily inf- influenced by American culture. And um, when we look at, like my, my, my father's upbringing in the Philippines, 
he grew up watching one American soldiers in his communities, but also watching American television because that's what the soldiers were watching. He grew up with American soldiers in his barrio, in his barangay, in his little town. And um, what my father grew up watching and grew up valuing was this idea of stuff. If I accumulate things, this means that I am this kind of person, right? So if I have this car, then that means I belong to this class. If I wear these shoes, that means I belong to this class. And so my father, if you look at my father's history and you also look at him now and you look at my family, it's about accumulating these things for status. We look at, our, we look at the Philippine culture today and we see people spend money on clothing that they can't afford because when they walk around the street, they want to be seen in a certain way. They want to be perceived as this class. They want to be perceived as having money, right? And that is that goes back to your comment of like, this isn't the, like there is no tangible mental health. We don't see the tangible. But when we buy things, there is tangible. And we feel we could, it is a temporary feeling of um, probably elation, probably feeling um, confident. But that is temporary. It goes away. And so, um, I mean, the leap was colonization, right? But like, what was the effect of that colonization on our culture and our values as a country and as people? We went from valuing community and being in each other's space and healing together to now today, we, are, we, we see a lot of isolation. We see a lot of scarcity. We see a lot of people saying, this is mine and not yours. We see a lot of people spending money that they don't necessarily have on things that they don't need. And we're seeing um, depression and anxiety skyrocket. We're seeing suicides skyrocket, right? And we're, what we're not seeing is more people asking for help, reaching out. And I think, and, and that's, a, that's part of it, right? Is like, part of it is media. Like who, I just had this conversation with, a guy, we we're talking about diversity and inclusion actually in men's work uh, yesterday um, about accessibility to people of color in the wellness space. And we don't see these celebrities talk about mental health issues. We're starting to see it with Drake. We're starting to see it with Kanye. But who else in this space, who else in the Asian American community is talking about this right now? That is a list, right? You know? Who, who can um, impact um, a large community. We're just not seeing that right now. I think that is a, a really big part of it too, is sort of the, in a way that branding around it. Yeah, it, totally. For lack of better words, it's kind of the, and yeah, it, along with that is not really seeing, you know, people who look like us or, or, or having that same similar experience where they have a certain struggle as well. And, and again, we are starting to see it more and it's, it's pretty, pretty cool to hear, but not as much as we really, really need. Yeah. And, and I think you bring up something really important and that is being able to identify with a person that looks like you and say, Oh wow, that person looks like me. We come from the same cultural background. 
and we have similar experiences in our traumas and in our mental health, right? I think that's so incredibly important for our, for, you know, people of color to identify with, to say like, oh, it's okay to talk about these things because they're talking about these things, right? And the, the guy that I was talking to yesterday was like, people want to see that mental health is cool. They want to see that this is the thing to do, right? And, and he's, he's, he's so right about that. Like people want to, want, want to see like, oh, okay, that's new trend. Okay, cool. Let's go do that. That's new trend. People are, this person's doing it. This person's doing it. So let's go and do that. Do that. I mean, if it's a trend that's going to get you some help and provide some wellness in your life, then let's keep this trend going, right? Like Soul Cycle is such a trend. CrossFit is such a trend. Uh, what are the other ones? Like Core Power Yoga is such a trend. And each of these wellness spaces create a deep community around their spaces because one, it makes people feel really good, but people in those communities think it's the coolest thing to do. And I think that's an aspect that we need to integrate into our branding is that like, this is, this is all right. Like, this is great to ask for help. I feel better about myself. It's okay to be healing from trauma. It's okay to have these traumatic experiences and it's okay to, to be vulnerable and to say, Hey, this is what I'm struggling with and I'm getting help for it. I think that's, that's so big. And that's kind of, that's what sort of ignites what, what I'm trying to do as well within, within what I'm doing, even just on this podcast and my writing. And, uh, it's kind of not, not coming from the sense that, you know, everybody necessarily should be doing this or has to do this, um, you know, in order to live a, a good life, but it's, it's at least coming to the sense that there is an awareness about, you know, how your mind works and, and the thought patterns that you have um, and how that influences your beliefs and actions. And so bringing that about and having people, whatever your circumstances or your background to at least be more cognizant of that is, is to me, you know, nothing but, positive nothing but like good growth that can help you be you know a, a better version of yourself yeah and and you think about like you know if we look at our for you and i our asian community asian american community if you and i are doing our own work to help ourselves that's going to influence everyone else in our community as well right I've, I've received so many messages from queer Filipino men on Instagram that message me and are like, Mike, thank you so much for your vulnerability. Thank you so much for talking about your experience because I feel like I'm going through that right now and I identify with that, right? And that's so powerful. It's so powerful for another queer Filipino man to see my work and say, Oh my God, that's my work too. Yeah. I'm struggling through that too. Right. It is, it is amazing to just really connect with someone on such a deeper level, you know, something that is again, that, that sort of intangible 
way, right? Not just the fact that, oh, we're in the same city and <laughs> the same things, but like just this emotional connection that, um, that is very rare to have. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of where I, I wanted to ask around, I mean, just comment around the fact that the, the internet and technological progression nowadays is helping in, in some ways. And, and this will definitely have an effect on so many aspects of mental health and wellness and the diversity in it is now that most, and I, and I know like I will caveat that, you know, internet and technology is still somewhat of a privilege as well, but there is a lot more accessibility for a lot of free resources now out there um, Mm -hmm. for people to uh, at least learn about mental health or how to, how to deal with someone in mental health. Um, well, not deal. That's probably not the right word, but you know, <laughs> kind of yeah. manage it. Be, be with. Be with. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and there's all these podcasts and YouTube, YouTube videos and books and whatnot. So uh, that's something that just excites me in general is that, you know, there is, it is, we're doing something about it, you know, in terms of providing, free resources out there and uh it, it at least makes me a little bit hopeful so yeah yeah i was also gonna ask then with i guess i'll, I'll just kind of start with my own experience in 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 uh starting to prioritize the mental and emotional aspects as well because how i kind of got here in, in a way was realizing that I wasn't prioritizing myself for a long time, you know, growing up. And that has come out in a way where I didn't necessarily know what I want or what I valued. But, and and that, that could have been a cultural or familial sort of aspect that honestly still has a huge impact on how I perceive, you know, mental health in general it's it's hard and to be completely vulnerable here you know there is a certain level of i don't want to use skepticism because that's a very powerful word but it's like uh there is it's it's I, you know i'm <laughs> i'm working out my thoughts right here uh <laughs> but you know um it's that like sort of intangibility or that intangible aspect of it and whether or not investing in a therapist or a coach or, or even just doing all this self-reflection is necessary. And so like, there is honestly still a hesitation around it, maybe because of the idea that, Oh, it seems like it's a, you know, quote unquote white people problem, Mm. you know? And so that does, come down to branding and whatnot. Um, you know, I, I would try to imagine my parents and what they would say about even my journey here is like, oh, well, is this, are you just kind of overthinking things, you know, or is mm. this, you, you know, it's not just overthinking, right? You just kind of do it. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, that's something I've been <laughs> maybe over contemplating, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, um, you know, my parents taught me 
you go to school, you get a degree, you get a good job. That's the tangible. I'm getting a paycheck. I'm supporting myself. Great. That's the tangible. I did that. Right. Went to school, got a college degree, got a job, made money. That's the tangible. Now, in my personal development journey, I needed to give up my parents' values in order for me to really put my entire heart into this work 100%. I had to literally say, I don't give a fuck about what you think. I'm just doing this because it makes me feel good. It makes me feel better. I have the degree, I'm making money right now, and I'm still unhappy. So what does that mean? What do I need to do? And as I started this personal development journey, I started to feel happier. I started to feel like, oh my God, this is fulfilling. And that is subjective because it's from my own experience. My parents can't tell me if I am happy or not, right? They can't tell me if I feel fulfilled or not. That is completely my own experience. And for, um, I would imagine, Asian parents, they don't quite see that kind of subjective, that, that like, what is happiness to them, right? Happiness to them is like, you get, you go through the motions of making some money and then, and then you support us, right? <laughs> and, then, and then we move into your house and then you support us, right? right? Um, but, well, actually, and, and that's like a lot of the sort of the collective collectivist thought around there too, where just family is a big impact or big part of that culture where, you know, your values and your ideas are passed down and, and kind of held together by this family aspect. Right. So Mm -hmm. there is that less sense of even just you saying, Oh, I don't give a fuck about what you think. That's huge in a, in a Asian family where you're in a way kind of i don't know for lack of better words like disrespecting that that family and that that uh that aspect so it's you know it's hard but but that is a common theme that i also find is there is that um there is importance to really identify what it is that you care about as a person um as an individual right Mm -hmm. so the balance right it's a balance between this individual and collectivist that yeah. I mean, f- for me, it was, uh, it, after I said, you know what, mom, dad, I honestly, I love you and I respect you, but you do not control my life. So I don't really give a f- about what you think about what I do about my future. Once I said that, I was like, now I got to really prove to them that I can make this a possibility. Mm-hmm. No, I can't. I have to prove to them that I can make, uh, make a living and sustain myself doing this. Right. My parents have not questioned me in God like a decade, right? They've never, they haven't questioned me about my work in a decade because I just, I just continued to prove to them that this is possible. Like I am not following your format. I'm not following what you did. I'm following what I think is right for me. And um, I just visited my father in the Philippines. He lives there now, and uh, he was asking me about work and. Um, he was just like, I am so happy that you were able to do this for yourself and you're able to make a living off of this. 
like my dad didn't he, my, I don't think my dad really quite understands what coaching is still <laughs> like I, I I told him what it was and he's like so like you're like a therapist and I'm like mm, uh no not really kind of I I was like I'm I'm kind of like your best friend that doesn't diagnose you with things but I push you to be your best self and he's like oh okay and he's like and people pay you for that and I'm like yeah <laughs> people pay me for that and um that for him a couple of months ago was just so enlightening for him he just like it, it i just saw this like oh i get it that makes sense now i can see that whereas when i started to do my own thing like in my early 20s oh my god like my my father questioned me about everything he questioned me about like the validity about my career of like I like I was acting at the time, I was a prof- I was uh, in theater professionally, and he was like, "You're never going to be able to make a living off of this. You're never going to be able to make a." Um, for my father, it was like benefits. You're never going to get benefits for this. You're never going to get a four hundred one k doing this. And I did. I got full benefits, and I create. I started a four hundred one k, and after that, he was like, "Oh." Oh, you can do it. And then I got into coaching and the question, he, he started to like question me less because he just knew that I was figuring it out that I just, and he knew he trusted in me that I would do it. And also, I think a big thing about a big thing was like, I wasn't, I wasn't asking for his support anymore financially. Right. I wasn't asking him to like pay for things. I wasn't asking him to like uh, help me with my rent or help me with school or whatever it was. I was actually just sustaining my life and he saw that this path was possible. I love it. I love it. It's, you know, that's a, I think that's probably a very rare thing for, mm-hmm. for people to kind of come across or come to terms uh, with that. And, and maybe is a, a trust thing. And again, maybe seeing it to believe it, you know, where, now that you can kind of show that you're, you're good, you know, that that it's not, it's not, uh, not the worst case scenario. And, um, and maybe that's kind of partly it, you know, from my perspective too, I've, I've come to understand that parents just that they're, they're supposed to worry Mm -hmm. and, uh, it might come off as them telling you what to do or, or trying to like, dictate your life but in a way it's just them trying to care and knowing uh or or doing what they only know so uh part of that is maybe the the education uh and awareness but uh also in a sense building the trust um with with the family so hey i you know i really appreciate this i think this has been I, I could keep talking about this forever, but yeah, me too. <laughs> Maybe we'll have part two. Yeah. <laughs> um, this was, this was awesome. Learned quite a bit, even just for myself as well. Um, and uh, it's been really cool chatting here. Yeah. Likewise. I do want to end my, my sort of thing right now is emotional intelligence and, really understanding, you know, both identifying our emotions and how that affects us and how we behave. 
um, but also how to communicate that and express that um, with with others. And so my idea here is to kind of end each segment with like a sort of rapid fire uh, story or experience with um, a few different emotions. And uh, if if you're ready for that, we can we could just dive right in. Yeah, let's do it. So when was the last time that you've felt angry and, and what, what was that experience like? Mm, that's a really, really great question. Um, the last time I felt angry uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, um, I'm an empath. And so I absorb emotions and sometimes that's, it works really well, especially because I'm a coach, but also it bites me in the butt. Um, and, um, I have a pattern of absorbing my husband's emotions and then blaming him for it. And, um, so, uh, I forget what was happening, but I was in a really good place in my emotions. I had a really great day and my husband came home from work just like super irritable, not at me, but, uh, I think it was like a trap Bay area traffic. He was like irritable at Bay area traffic. And he came into the space and was just like, um, he showed that anger and I absorbed it and I absorbed that anger and I made it my own. And then I lashed back out at him and blamed him for making me feel angry. Um, and and it made me angry. It made me truly angry for him to like my vibe up, <laughs> you know, like I had a great day and then now here I am in this, like this, like this cesspool of anger and it doesn't feel good anymore. And, um, I remember just like getting really short with him and him immediately noticing that I shifted my energy. Um, and when I get angry, I isolate, I shut down. I freeze and he immediately asked like, Hey, are you, what's going on? You seem off. And I went, no, 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 I'm nothing. And when I say that he immediately knows, okay, something's going on. (laughs) Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, like, because I have the emotional awareness, I could, I, I'm able to be like, I just absorbed your emotion. I'm feeling angry right now. I went to a place of blaming you and I know I shouldn't have done that. And I just need some space right now. I need some time for myself. I'm going to sit here and breathe and then I'll come back to you. And that was, that was, I mean, dude, I've been doing this work for God, like so many years and that is still my reaction, right? Like to anger, when anger comes up, these old patterns still come up for me. Um, uh, So then that was just like a couple of, couple of weeks ago. Yeah. You know, and, we can we can prepare and learn as much as we can, but it's always the application and in practice mm-hmm. is always the hardest part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when was the last time you felt sad? Um, last Saturday. I felt really sad. Um, my husband and I are moving to Mexico in the fall. We bought a house and last Saturday we had our going away party. And um, we stuffed our entire house with our closest friends. And we did a a salon where we had performances. Our friends wrote us songs. They played instruments for us. And they danced and did poetry. And I felt this immense amount of sadness and 
Um, I felt it all this week. Um, and it was sadness from knowing that this is not permanent, that um, in a few months, um, we won't have the that we won't have we won't be able to access our community in a um, very accessible way, in a very like um, easy way. We'll be in a, in a country by ourselves without a community, and um, knowing that we are going to be parting ways with our tribe um, hurts us and it saddens us. That's that's deep. That's. Uh... But that was that's a sweet kind of a get together with your friends there. Yeah, absolutely. And then the last one: what uh, are you excited about? What what are you looking forward to, both in personal or within career, work, or within the world? Yesterday, I felt this like overwhelmed. I went on a run um, yesterday evening, and. Uh, there, the, there was a Warriors game, a playoff Warriors game last night. I'm a huge Warriors fan. I had several friends reach out to me to ask me if I wanted to hang out. And um, I'm, a, I'm a textbook extrovert. And usually I'm like, yeah, let's go hang out. But I, needed, I just needed some alone time. I needed some space. I needed to be introvert for the evening. And I said no to all of them with this lingering uh, feeling of guilt. But after I had processed that guilt and said, Mike, you need this by yourself, I felt this overwhelming sense of excitement of like, awesome, I'm by myself. And that allowed me to be excited about my move to Mexico, about the possibility out there, um, the dreams that we have to create a, um, uh, a life out in a, in a different country. Um, that made me super excited. But also what makes me excited is um, my business right now is growing. Uh, I co-founded a company called The Unshakable Man, and it's an eight-week men's emotional awareness training. And um, people are, men are finding out about our program from all over the United States. And that makes me so excited. Um, it makes me excited because this work is powerful, but it also makes me excited because um, my business and my business partner and I um, aren't having to do the the, um, the like in in business world. It's like top of funnel work. The like the massaging of potential clients. Um, people are just finding us, and that really excites me um, about the direction that we're heading in right now in our business. That's that's amazing to hear, and those those are the best ways to to connect with people. Yeah, they find you naturally there. That's super cool. Um, I, I did forget to kind of give you the floor there. So actually, yeah, if you want to go into more about what you're doing now and how people can find you and and uh, what what you're doing next. Yeah. Uh, so like you said earlier, I'm a men's coach. I co-founded a company called The Unshakable Man. Um, it is a man, it is an organization focused on men's total health and wellness and we help men slow down so they can open up and connect. And, uh, we host retreats, we host workshops, we host webinars. You could find us at, um, the unshakable man on, I, on Instagram. You could also find me at mike.sagoon on Instagram. Um, and you could also find us online at, um, the unshakable man.me. And um, we have a free morning ritual guide along with some other goodies that you could download. Um, we host webinars every month. 
Um, I'm also deeply involved with Everyman, a men's organization, also focused on helping men slow down to open up and connect. And um, you can check us out on everyman.com, E-V-R-Y-M-A-N.com. We host retreats all over the United States. And if you are interested in running your own men's group, um, we have all the resources and the support to help you do that. That is awesome. I really appreciate you spending the time here. I think we, we talked a lot about some cool stuff there. And uh, hopefully this was helpful to anyone listening. Yeah, thanks everyone. And thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening. We hit on a lot of topics there and maybe, you know, inspired more questions than answers, but that's that's all part of the process. You know, life wouldn't be fun if we had all the answers all the time, right? <laughs> but if you were a person of color uh, listening to this, I, I hope this had, you know, inspired a little more thought in, in where you are right now to have generated a little more comfort in, in your situation and um, helped encourage you to to reach out and be more expressive and to not be afraid to ask for help. It, it's not an admittance to anything. It's not a sense of failure or a sign of weakness at all. Um, you know, humans are meant to work together as a group, as a tribe, as as a team, and um, we don't have to do it alone. So don't let, you know, outside influences or culture or or other people's values you know tell you otherwise you know if there's something that you want out of your life if there's something that you're looking for if there's something that you need help with it's it's up to you to reach out and to to get that help and if you are a white person or a person of caucasian descent i hope this had at least giving you a different perspective on on diversity and in the wellness industry. Um, if you are someone in the wellness industry, I hope that can inspire you to be more inclusive and to broaden the diversity within your workplace or within whatever business or uh, company you're with or just the people around you. If there's anything that you're willing to share, contribute, or want to give me a, a hard turn talk on regarding this episode, please feel free to reach out. I'd love to learn and, and, and be more aware of, um, of where we're at right now. Or if this just had encouraged any sort of deeper thought or inspired anything, inspired any sort of action, please let me know as well. I'd love to hear how you know, this is helpful and, and where it's not. So any sort of feedback is, is going to be useful. So you can find me at victorung.com, Victor U-N-G. There you'll find more details around my own coaching services. Um, otherwise, you can also subscribe at victorung.com slash subscribe, where you'll get the 11 best exercises to jumpstart your journey in developing emotional intelligence resiliency throughout your life at the same time you'll also be subscribed to my newsletter where i'll send out my updates around my blog and podcast and you can also find me on social media at victorong.com socials 
where I'll have all the links there to all the different platforms that I'm on. So thanks again for listening. <laughs>